chapters seven through ten of book four of on the parts of animals by aristotle translated by william ogle this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by geoffrey edwards chapter seven in the testacea the body consists of but few parts the reason being that these animals lead a stationary life for such animals as move much about must of necessity have more numerous parts than such as remain quiet for the more diversified the movements the greater the number of organs required to affect them some species of testacea are absolutely motionless and others very nearly so they would thus fall an easy prey to their enemies were it not for the hardness of the shell with which nature has invested their body as a means of protection this shell as already has been said may have one valve or two valves or be turbinated in the latter case it may either be spiral as in whelks or merely globular as in the echini when it has two valves these may be gaping as in scallops and mussels where the valves are united together on one side only so as to open and shut on the other or they may be united together on both sides as in razor-fishes in all cases alike these testacea have like plants their head downwards the reason for this is that they imbibe their nourishment from below just as do plants with their roots thus the under parts come in them to be above and the upper parts to be below the body is enclosed in a membrane and through this the animal filters suitable fluid and absorbs nutriment in all there is a head but none of the other parts excepting the receptacle for food has any distinctive name chapter eight all the crustacea can crawl as well as swim and accordingly they are provided with numerous feet there are four main genera videlicet the carabi as they are called the astaci the carides and the carcini in each of these genera again there are numerous species which differ from each other not only as regards shape but also very considerably as regards size for while in some species the individuals are large in others they are excessively minute the carcinoid and keraboid crustacea resemble each other in possessing claws these claws are not for locomotion but to serve as hands for seizing and holding objects and they are therefore bent in exactly the opposite direction to the feet being so twisted as to turn their convexity towards the body while the feet turn towards it their concavity for by this position the claws are best suited for laying hold of food and carrying it to the mouth the distinction between the carabi and carcini 
consists in the former having a tail while the latter have none for the karabi swim about and a tail is therefore of use to them serving for their propulsion like the blade of an oar but it would be of no good to the carcini for these animals as a rule live close to shore and creep into holes and corners in such of them as live out at sea the feet are much less adapted for crawling than in the rest because they make but little use of them for this purpose and depend for protection on their shell-like covering the myi and the crabs known as heracleotic are examples of this the legs in the former being very thin in the latter very short the very minute crabs that are found at the bottom of the net mixed with small fishes have their posterior legs expanded into the resemblance of fins or oar blades so as to help the animal in swimming the caridas are distinguished from the carcanoid species by the presence of a tail and from the caraboids by the absence of claws this is explained by their large number of feet on which has been expended the material for the growth of claws their feet again are numerous to suit their mode of progression which is mainly by swimming the parts on the ventral surface and near the head are in some of these animals formed like gills for the admission and discharge of water the parts lower down differ in the different sexes for in the female carabi the parts are more laminar than in the males and in the female crabs the flap is furnished with hairier appendages this gives ampler space for the disposal of the ova which the females retain in these parts instead of letting them go free like fishes and other animals as soon as they are brought forth in the carabi and in the carcini the right claw is invariably the larger and the stronger for it is natural to every animal to use its right side in preference to its left and nature in distributing the organs invariably assigns each either exclusively or in a more perfect condition to such animals as can use it so is it with tusks and teeth and horns and spurs and all such offensive and defensive weapons in the astaki alone it is a matter of chance which claw is the larger and this in either sex claws they must have because they belong to a genus in which this is a constant character but they have them in this irregular way owing to imperfect formation and to their not using them for their natural purpose but for locomotion for a detailed account of the several parts of these animals of their position and their differences those parts being also included which distinguish the sexes reference must be made to the treatises on anatomy and to the researches concerning animals chapter nine we come now to the cephalopods their internal organs have been already described with those of other animals externally there is an uniform sac enclosing the body 
and in front of this sack a head surrounded by feet, which form a circle about the mouth and teeth, and are set between these and the eyes. Now, in all other animals the feet, if there are any, are placed in one of two ways, either before and behind, or along the sides, the latter being the method adopted in those bloodless animals whose feet are numerous. But in the cephalopods there is a peculiar arrangement distinct from either of these, for their feet are all placed at what may be called the fore end. The reason for this is that the hind and fore parts of their body have been drawn up close to each other, as is also the case in the turbinated testacea. For these latter, while in some points they resemble the crustacea, in others resemble the cephalopods. Their earthy matter is on the outside, and their fleshy substance within. So far they are like the crustacea, but the general plan of their body is that of the cephalopods, and though this is true in a certain degree of all the testacea, it is more especially true of those turbinated species that have a spiral shell. This general plan, common to the two, is as follows. Let us first consider the case of quadrupeds and of man, where the arrangement is that of a straight line. At the upper end of this line, A represents the mouth, then B the gullet, and C the stomach. After this comes the intestine, reaching to the vent, which is marked by D. Such is the plan in sanguineous animals, and round this straight line as an axis are disposed the head and trunk. The remaining parts, such as the anterior and posterior limbs, having been superadded by nature, merely to minister to these, and for locomotion. Now in crustacea and in insects there is a tendency to a similar arrangement of the internal parts in a straight line. The distinctions between these groups and the sanguineous animals depending on differences of the external organs which minister to locomotion. But the cephalopods and the turbinated testacea have in common an arrangement which stands in contrast with this. For here the two extremities are brought together by a curve, as if one were to bend the straight line marked E until D came close to A. Such, then, is the disposition of the internal parts, and round these, in the cephalopods, is placed the sac, in the pulps alone called a head, and in the testacea the turbinated shell which corresponds to the sac. There is, in fact, only this difference between them, that the sac of the cephalopods is soft, while the shell of the testacea is hard, nature having invested the fleshy parts with this hard coating as a protection to the animal which from its limited power of locomotion is exposed to considerable risk. In both classes, owing to this arrangement of the internal organs, the excrement is voided near the mouth, 
at a point below this orifice in the cephalopods, and in the turbinata somewhat on one side of it. Such, then, is the explanation of the position of the feet in the cephalopods, and of the contrast they present to other animals in this matter. The arrangement, however, in the sepias and the calamaries is not precisely the same as in the pups, owing to the former having no other mode of progression than by swimming, while the latter not only swim but crawl. Thus the former have six of their feet above the teeth, and of these six the two outer ones are the biggest, while the remaining two, which make up the total eight, are below the mouth, and are much the biggest of all, just as the hind limbs in quadrupeds are stronger than the forelimbs. For it is these lower feet and these hind legs that have to support the weight, and to take the main part in locomotion. And the outer pair of the upper six are bigger than the pair which intervene between them, and the uppermost of all, because they have to assist the lowermost pair in their office. In the pulps, on the other hand, the four central feet are the biggest. Again, though the number of feet is the same in all the cephalopods, namely eight, their length varies in different kinds, being short in the sepias and the calamaries, but greater in the pulps. For in these latter the body with its sack is of small bulk, while in the former it is of considerable size, and so in the one case nature has used the materials subtracted from the body to give length to the feet, while in the other she has acted in precisely the opposite way, and has given to the growth of the body what she has first taken from the feet. The poops, then, owing to the length of their feet, can not only swim but crawl, whereas in the other genera the feet are useless for the latter mode of progression, being small, while the bulk of the body is considerable. These short feet would not enable their possessors to cling to the rocks and keep themselves from being torn off by the waves in times of storm. Neither would they serve to lay hold of objects at all remote and bring them in, but to supply these defects the animal is furnished with two probosities, by which it can moor itself and ride at anchor like a ship in rough weather. The same processes serve also to catch prey, even at some distance, and to bring it to the mouth. They are so used both by the sepias and the calamaries. In the pulps the feet are themselves able to perform these offices, and there are consequently no probosities. In all the cephalopods that have suckers on their feet and twinning tentacles, these act in the same way, and have indeed the same structure as those plated instruments which were used of old by physicians to reduce dislocations of the fingers. The tentacles, like these, consist of plated fibers, which act by pulling upon portions of flesh or any substance of a yielding nature. 
the physician places his instrument in a slackened condition round the finger and when it is put on the stretch it grasps and clings tightly to whatever may be in contact with its inner surface the tentacles act in the same manner serving in place of hands for offensive or defensive purposes the cephalopods having indeed no other instrument than either feet or proboscides with which to lay hold on anything and bring it to the mouth the suckers are set in double line in all the cephalopods excepting in one kind of pulp where there is but a single row the length and the slimness which is part of the nature of this kind of pulp explains the exception for a narrow space cannot possibly admit of more than a single line of suckers this exceptional character then belongs to them not because it is the most advantageous arrangement but because it is the necessary consequence of their essential specific constitution in all these animals there is a fin encircling the sac in the pulps and the sepias this fin is unbroken and continuous as is also the case in the larger calamaries but in the smaller kind called teuthids the fin is not only broader than in the sepias and the pulps where it is very narrow but moreover only begins in the middle of the side and does not encircle the entire sac the use of this fin is to enable the animal to swim and also to direct its course it acts that is like the rump feathers in birds or the tail fin in fishes in none is it so small as in the pulps where it is difficult to make it out for in these the body is of small bulk and can be steered by the feet sufficiently well without other assistance all the bloodless animals namely the insects the crustacea the testacea and the cephalopoda have now been dealt with in turn and the parts of all have been described whether internal or external chapter ten we must now go back to the animals that have blood and consider such of their parts already enumerated as were before passed over we will take the viviparous animals first and when we have done with these will pass on to the ovipara and treat of them in like manner the parts that border on the head and on what is known as the neck and throat have been already taken into consideration as for the head itself such a part is found in all animals that have blood whereas in some bloodless animals in crabs for instance there is no head distinctly separable from the trunk as to the neck it is present in all the vivipara but only in some of the ovipara for while those that have a lung also have a neck those that do not inhale the outer air have none the head exists mainly for the sake of the brain for every animal that has blood must of necessity have a brain and must moreover for reasons already given have it placed as far as possible from the heart 
but the head has also been chosen by nature as the part in which to set some of the senses because its blood is mixed in such suitable proportions as to ensure quiet and precision to the sensations while at the same time it can supply the brain with such warmth as it requires there is yet a third constituent superadded to the head namely the part which ministers to the ingestion of food this has been placed here by nature because such a situation accords best with the general configuration of the body for the stomach could not possibly be placed above the heart seeing that this is the sovereign organ and if placed below as in fact it is then the mouth could not possibly be placed there also for this would have necessitated a great increase in the length of the body and the stomach moreover would have been removed too far from the source of motion and of concoction the head then exists for the sake of these three parts the neck again exists for the sake of the windpipe for it acts as a defence to this and to the oesophagus encircling them and keeping them from injury in all other animals this neck is flexible and contains several vertebrae but in wolves and lions it contains only a single bone for the object of nature was to give these animals an organ which should be serviceable in the way of strength rather than one that should be useful for any of the other purposes to which necks are subservient continuous with the head and neck is the trunk with the anterior limbs in man the forelegs and forefeet are replaced by arms and by what we call hands for of all animals man alone stands erect in accordance with his godlike nature and essence for it is the function of the godlike to think and to be wise and no easy task were this under the burden of a heavy body pressing down from above and obstructing by its weight the motions of the intellect and of the common sense when moreover the weight and corporeal substance become excessive the body must of necessity incline towards the ground in such cases therefore nature in order to give support to the body has replaced the arms and hands by forefeet and has thus converted the animal into a quadruped for as every animal that walks must of necessity have the two hinder feet such an animal becomes a quadruped its body inclining downwards in front from the weight which its soul cannot sustain for all animals man alone excepted are dwarf-like in form for as in a dwarf their upper part is large while that which bears the weight and is used in walking is comparatively small this upper part is what we call the trunk and reaches from the mouth to the vent in man it is duly proportionate to the part below and diminishes much in its comparative size as the man attains to full growth but in his infancy the contrary obtains and the upper parts are large the lower small so that the infant can only crawl 
it is unable to walk, nay, at first cannot even crawl, but remains without motion. In fact, all children are dwarfs in shape, but cease to be so as they become men, from the growth of their lower portion, whereas in quadrupeds the reverse occurs, their lower parts being largest in youth, and advance of years bringing increased growth above, that is, in the trunk, which extends from the buttocks to the head. Thus it is that colts are scarcely, if at all, below full-grown horses in height, and that while quite young they can touch their heads with the hind legs, though this is no longer possible when they are older. Such, then, is the form of animals that have either a solid or a cloven hoof, but such as are polydactylous and without horns, though they too are of dwarf-like shape, are so in a less degree. Nor is the original disproportion between their upper and lower parts increased by aftergrowth. Dwarf-like again is the race of birds and of fishes, and so in fact, as already has been said, is every animal that has blood. This is the reason that no other animal is so intelligent as man. For even among men themselves, if we compare children with adults, or such adults as are of dwarf-like shape with such as are not, we find that, whatever other superiority the former may possess, they are at any rate deficient as compared with the latter in intelligence. The explanation, as already stated, is that their psychical principle is corporeal, and much impeded in its motions. Let now a still further decrease occur in the elevating heat, and a still further increase in the earthy matter, and the animals become smaller in bulk, and their feet more numerous, until, at a later stage, they become apodous and extended full length on the ground. Thus, by gradual, small successions of change, they come to have their principal organ below, and at last their cephalic part becomes motionless and destitute of sensation. Thus the animal becomes a plant that has its upper parts downwards and its lower parts above, for in plants the roots are the equivalents of mouth and head, while the seed, which is produced above at the extremities of the twigs, has an opposite significance. The reasons have now been stated why some animals have many feet, some only two, and others none, why also some living things are plants and others animals, and lastly why man alone of all animals stands erect. Standing thus erect, man has no need of legs in front, and in their stand has been endowed by nature with arms and hands. Now, it is the opinion of Anaxagoras that the possession of these hands is the cause of man being of all animals the most intelligent. But it is rational to suppose that the possession of hands is the consequence rather than the cause of his superior intelligence. For the hands are instruments or organs, 
and the invariable plan of nature in distributing the organs is to give each to such animal as can make use of it nature acting in this manner as any prudent man would do for to such an one it would seem much more appropriate to take a person who is already a flute-player and give him a flute than to take one who possessed a flute and teach him the art of flute-playing for by the former plan something comparatively insignificant would be added to something of much greater importance while by the latter the more valuable and the more important element would be superadded to the less valuable one seeing then that it is a better plan to assign an instrument to a workman than to assign a workman to an instrument and seeing also that of all available plans nature invariably adopts the best we must conclude that man does not owe his superior intelligence to his hands but his hands to his superior intelligence for the most intelligent of animals is the one which would put the most organs to the best use and the hand is apparently not a single organ but many in one for it is an organ that can serve in the place of many this instrument then the hand of all instruments the most variously serviceable has been given by nature to man the animal of all animals the most capable of acquiring the most varied handicrafts much in error then are they who say that the construction of man is not only faulty but inferior to that of all other animals seeing that he is as they point out barefooted naked and without weapon of which to avail himself for other animals have each but one mode of defence and this they can never change so that they must perform all the offices of life and even so to speak sleep with sandals on never laying aside whatever serves as a protection to their bodies nor changing such single weapon as they may chance to possess but to man numerous modes of defence are open and these moreover he may change at will as also he may adopt such weapon as he pleases and at such times as suit him for the hand is talon hoof and horn at will so too is its spear and sword and whatsoever other weapon or instrument you please for all these can it be from its power of grasping and holding them all in harmony with this varied office is the form which nature has contrived for it for it is split into several divisions and these are capable of divergence such capacity of divergence does not prevent their again converging so as to form a single compact body whereas had the hand been an undivided mass divergence would have been impossible again these parts may be used singly or together and in various combinations the joints moreover of the fingers are well constructed for prehension and for pressure one of the digits also and this not long like the rest but short and thick is placed laterally for were it not so placed all prehension would be as impossible 
as were there no hand at all for the pressure of this lateral digit is applied from below upwards while the rest act from above downwards an arrangement which is essential if the grasp is to be firm and hold like a tight clamp as for the shortness of this lateral digit the object is to increase its strength so that it may be able though but one to counterbalance its more numerous opponents indeed were it long it would be of no use this is the explanation of its being sometimes called the great digit in spite of its small size for without it all the rest would be practically useless the finger which stands at the other end of the row is small while the central one of all is long like the centre or in a ship this is rightly so for in grasping an object as a workman grasps his tool it is the central part of the encircling hold which is of the most importance no less skilfully contrived are the nails for while in man these serve simply as coverings to protect the ends of the fingers in other animals they are also used for active purposes and their form in each case is suited to their office the arms in man and the forelimbs in quadrupeds bend in precisely contrary directions this difference having reference to the ingestion of food and to the other offices which belong to these parts for quadrupeds use their anterior limbs as feet in progression and must therefore have them bent inwards in such of the quadrupeds indeed as are polydactylous these forelimbs are at any rate intended not only to serve in locomotion but also to act as hands and they are in fact so used as any one may see for these animals seize hold of objects and also repel assailants with their anterior limbs whereas quadrupeds with solid hoofs use their hind legs for this latter purpose for their forelimbs are not analogous to the arms and hands of man it is this hand-like office of the anterior limbs which explains why in some of the polydactylous quadrupeds such as wolves lions dogs and leopards there are five digits on each forefoot though there are only four on each hind one for the fifth digit of the foot corresponds to the fifth digit of the hand and like it is called the big one it is true that in the smaller polydactylous quadrupeds the hind feet also have each five toes but this is because these animals are creepers and the increased number of nails serves to give them a tighter grip of the ground and so enables them to creep up steep places or even to run overhand with greater facility in man between the arms and in other animals between the forelegs lies what is called the breast this in man is broad as one might expect for as the arms are set laterally on the body they offer no impediment to the expansion of this part but in quadrupeds the breast is narrow owing to the legs having to be extended in a forward direction in progression and locomotion 
owing to this narrowness the mammae of quadrupeds are never placed on the breast but in the human body there is ample space in this part moreover the heart and neighbouring organs require such protection as would be afforded by a fleshy covering and for these reasons the mammae in man are placed on the breast side by side in the male these mammae are of a fleshy substance and are therefore of use in the way just stated but in the female nature in accordance with what we say is her frequent practice makes these organs minister to an additional function employing them as a store-place of nutriment for the offspring the human mammae are two in number in accordance with the division of the body into two halves a right and a left they are somewhat firmer than they would otherwise be because the ribs in this region are joined together and they form two distinct masses because their presence is in no wise burdensome in other animals than man it is impossible for the mammae to be placed on the breast between the forelegs for they would interfere with locomotion they are therefore disposed of otherwise and in a variety of ways thus in such animals as produce but few at a birth whether horned quadrupeds or those with solid hoofs the mammae are placed in the groins and are two in number while in such as produce litters or such as are polydactylous the dugs are either numerous and placed laterally on the belly as in swine and dogs or are only two in number and placed in the centre of the abdomen as is the case in the lion the explanation of this latter condition is not that the lion produces few at a birth for sometimes it has more than two cubs at a time but is to be found in the fact that this animal has no plentiful supply of milk for being a flesh-eater it gets food at but rare intervals and such nourishment as it obtains is all expended on the growth of its body in the elephant also there are but two mammae which are placed under the axillae of the forelimbs the mammae are not more than two because this animal has only a single young one at a birth and they are not placed in the groins because they never occupy that position in any polydactylous animal such as this lastly they are placed above close to the axillae because this is the position of the foremost dugs in all animals whose dugs are numerous and the dugs so placed give the most milk a proof of this is furnished by the sow for she always presents these foremost dugs to the first-born of her litter a single young one is of course a first-born and so such animals as only produce a single young one must have these anterior dugs to present to it that is they must have dugs close to the axillae this then is the reason why the elephant has but two mammae and why they are so placed but in such animals as have litters of young the dugs are disposed about the belly 
the reason being that more dugs are required by those that have more young to nourish now as there are but two sides to the body the right and the left it is impossible that these dugs should be set transversely in rows of more than two they must therefore be placed lengthways and the only place where there is sufficient length for this is the region between the front and hind legs as to the animals that are not polydactylous but produce few at a birth or have horns their dugs are placed in the groins the horse the ass the camel are examples all of which bear but a single young one at a time and of which the two former have solid hoofs while in the last the hoof is cloven as still further examples may be mentioned the deer the ox the goat and all other similar animals the explanation is that in these animals growth takes place in an upward direction so that there must be an abundant collection of residual matter and of blood in the lower region that is to say in the neighbourhood of the excremental orifices here therefore nature has placed the mammae for the part whence they can most easily derive nutriment will clearly be that part in which the nutriment is set in motion in man there are mammae in the male as well as in the female but some of the males of other animals are without them such for instance is the case with horses some stallions being destitute of these parts while others that resemble their dams have them thus much then concerning the mammae next after the breast comes the region of the belly which is left unenclosed by the ribs for a reason which has already been given namely that there may be no impediment to the swelling which necessarily occurs in the food as it gets heated nor to the expansion of the womb in pregnancy at the extreme end of what is called the trunk are the parts concerned in the evacuation of the solid and also of the fluid residues in all sanguineous animals with some few exceptions and in all vivipara without any exception at all the same part which serves for the evacuation of the fluid residue is also made by nature to serve in sexual congress and this alike in male and female for the semen is a kind of fluid and a residue the proof of this will be given hereafter but for the present let it be taken for granted the like holds good of the menstrual fluid in women and of the part by which they give issue to it this also however is a matter of which a more accurate account will be given hereafter for the present let it be simply stated as a fact that the catamenia of the female as also the semen of the male are residual matter the catamenia then and the semen are both fluid and thus it is only reasonable that the same parts which serve for voidance of the urine should give issue to these residues which have identical or similar characters of the internal structure of these parts and of the differences which exist between the parts concerned with semen 
and the parts concerned with conception, a clear account is given in the book of Researches Concerning Animals, and in the treatises on anatomy. Moreover, I shall have to speak of them again when I come to deal with generation and development. As regards, however, the external shapes of the parts, it is plain enough that they are adapted to their operations, as indeed of necessity they must be. There are, however, differences in the male organ corresponding to differences in the body generally, for it is not of an equally sinewy character in all animals. This organ, again, is the only one that, independently of any morbid change, admits of augmentation and of diminution of bulk. The former change is of service in copulation, while the other is required for the advantage of the body at large. For, were the organ constantly in a state of erection, it would be an encumbrance. The organ, therefore, has been formed of such constituents as will admit of either condition. For it is partly sinewy, partly cartilaginous, and thus is enabled either to contract or to become extended, and is capable of admitting air. All female quadrupeds void their urine backwards, because the position of the parts which this implies is useful to them in the act of copulation. This is the case with very few males, though there are some exceptions, as the lynx, the lion, the camel, and the hare. No quadruped with a solid hoof is retromingent. The posterior portion of the body and the parts about the legs are different in man from what they are in quadrupeds. Nearly all these latter have a tail, and this whether they are viviparous or oviparous. For even if the tail be of no great size, yet they have a kind of scut, as at any rate a small representative of it. But man is tailless. He has, however, buttocks, which exist in none of the quadrupeds. His legs also, calves and thighs alike, are fleshy, while in all other animals that have legs, viviparous or not, they are fleshless, being made of sinew and bone and a substance resembling fish-spine. For all these differences there is, so to say, one common explanation, and this is that of all animals man alone stands erect. It was to facilitate the maintenance of this position that nature made his upper parts light, taking away some of their corporeal substance, and using it to increase the weight of the parts below, so that the buttocks, the thighs, and the calves of the legs all became fleshy. The character which she thus gave to the buttocks renders them at the same time useful in resting the body for standing causes no fatigue to quadrupeds, and even the long continuance of this posture produces in them no weariness, for they are supported the whole time by four props, which is much as though they were lying down. But to man it is no easy task to remain for any length of time on his feet, his body demanding rest in a sitting position. This, then, is the reason why man has buttocks, 
and fleshy legs, and the presence of these fleshy parts explains why he has no tail. For the nutriment which would otherwise go to the tail is used up in the production of these parts, while at the same time the existence of buttocks does away with the necessity of a tail. But in quadrupeds and other animals the reverse obtains, for they are of dwarf-like form, so that all the pressure of their weight and corporeal substance is on their upper part, and is withdrawn from the parts below. On this account they are without buttocks, and have hard legs. In order, however, to cover and protect that part which serves for the evacuation of excrement, nature has given them a tail or brush, subtracting for the purpose some of the nutriment which would otherwise go to the legs. Halfway in shape between man and quadrupeds is the ape, belonging therefore to neither or to both, and having on this account neither tail nor buttocks, no tail in its character of biped, no buttocks in its character of quadruped. There is a great diversity of so-called tails, and this organ, like others, is sometimes used by nature for bi-purposes, being made to serve not only as a covering and protection to the fundament, but also for other uses and advantages of its possessor. There are differences in the feet of quadrupeds, for in some of these animals there is a solid hoof, and in others a hoof cloven into two, and again in others a foot divided into many parts. The hoof is solid when the body is large, and the earthy matter present in great abundance, in which case the earth, instead of forming teeth and horns, is separated in the character of a nail, and, being very abundant, forms one continuous nail, that is, a hoof, in place of several. This consumption of the earthy matter on the hoof explains why these animals as a rule have no huckle-bones. A second reason, however, being that the presence of such a bone in the joint of the hind leg somewhat impedes its free motion. For extension and flexion can be made more rapidly in parts that have but one angle than in parts that have many. But the presence of a huckle-bone as a connecting bolt is the introduction, as it were, of a new limb-segment between the two ordinary ones. Such an addition adds to the weight of the foot, but renders the act of progression more secure. Thus it is that even in such animals as have a huckle-bone, it is only in the posterior limbs, and never in the anterior ones, that this bone is found. For the anterior limbs, moving as they do in advance of the others, require to be light and capable of ready flexion, whereas firmness and extension are what is wanted in the hind limbs. Moreover, a huckle-bone adds weight to the blow of a limb, and so renders it a suitable weapon of defence. And these animals all use their hind legs to protect themselves, kicking out with their heels against anything which annoys them. In the cloven-hoofed quadrupeds, the lighter character of the hind legs admits of their being a huckle-bone, 
and the presence of the hucklebone prevents them from having a solid hoof the bony substance remaining in the joint and therefore being deficient in the foot as to the polydactylous quadrupeds none of them have hucklebones for if they had they would not be polydactylous but the divisions of the foot would only extend to that amount of its breadth which was covered by the hucklebone thus it is that most of the animals that have hucklebones are cloven-hoofed of all animals man has the largest foot in proportion to the size of the body this is only what might be expected for seeing that he is the only animal that stands erect the two feet which have to bear all the weight of the body must be both long and broad equally intelligible is it that the proportion between the size of the fingers and that of the whole hand should be inverted in the case of the toes and feet for the function of the hands is to take hold of objects and retain them by pressure so that the fingers require to be long for it is by its flexed portion that the hand grasps an object but the function of the feet is to enable us to walk with security so that here the undivided part is to be looked on as of most importance however it is better for an extremity to be divided than to be undivided for in an undivided foot disease of any one part would affect by sympathy the whole whereas if the foot be divided into separate digits there is not an equal liability to such an occurrence the digits again by being short would be less liable to injury for these reasons the feet in man are many-toed while the separate digits are of no great length the toes finally are furnished with nails for the same reason as are the fingers namely because such projecting parts are weak and therefore require especial protection and of chapter 10 of book 4